I'm going to welcome Don and Lisa. They've been, uh, it's been great having them at our house over the last few days, and they'll be staying for a few more days. If you want to get to know them after the surgery, uh, after the surgery. <laughs> I'm a GP. That's why. After the service, uh, do go and meet them. He, he, they're both a very exciting people to be around. Um, Don leads um, a church out in uh, Michigan, USA, called Firm Foundation, uh, as well as he's part of the teams that I go and see every now and then in Canada. He leads the Great Lakes. Uh, he's part of the leadership team of the Great Lakes area of Canada and, uh, uh, and America. So it's great. It's a real honor. It's a real privilege to have you guys, our very good friends, back in Jubilee. Amen. Come Amen. up, Don. Amen. It is an honor to be here again with you, and uh, it, was, it was February of 2014 when, we were he- when I was here uh, before, and uh, we just had a, a wonderful time, and uh, I went home and I told my wife all about the experience in the UK, and uh, she was extremely jealous, and so this time when we scheduled, when we booked, I said, I, I, I told, um, uh, I said, I, I've got to bring my wife along. So, uh, Raj and Miss Charlotte, is it okay if I bring my wife along this time? And, and so, I'm glad you uh, and so, no, it was really good. So, I, I'm glad my queen is here with me today. Let's give her a hand. Uh, this is Lisa. Amen. She is a strong force uh, in our ministry, uh, working with the ladies, the young ladies, and uh, all that God is doing there, and uh, just simply keeping uh, myself organized and in shape. Amen. Uh, those are things. So it's, it's wonderful to be back with you. Uh, we've been doing a lot. We were in Brazil a couple of months ago. Uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, there's four churches in Brazil uh, that have been working with, and to pray over that... Um, uh, uh, those churches are incredibly interested in New Frontiers and what's going on. They, they have nothing of the sort like what we experience as a family of churches. And so spending a couple of weeks down there uh, ministering and, and doing leadership meetings and helping pastors in that area was a great, great joy. Uh, and so we're pretty excited about that. In March, we're going to be in Nicaragua. Uh, down there, we're going to take a team of 25 high schoolers. Hello, somebody. Um, and uh, we love exposing our high schoolers to third world countries, and, um, and Nicaragua is one of the places that we take them, and it's just a great opportunity to go down and uh, build the kingdom of God through uh, community service and social work activities and things like that, and so uh, we're, we'll be traveling down there, and it's really incredible. In, in uh, December, my wife and I are going to be in Florida, where we are from, Originally, where I was uh, raised all my life until we moved to Michigan, and we're doing a marriage conference down there. So continue to pray for us as um, it's a busy, busy year uh, coming up and, and continuing. But to be here with you is an incredible, incredible honor. Again, uh, we feel like we have built such a relationship with your leadership team, and those of you we're getting to know is incredible. We've been here uh, speaking to uh, uh, Thursday night with the, the Farsi worship, which was amazing. I want you to look over there. You see that American flag and that Iranian flag? I, I'm not sure we get the impact of that. I, I'm not sure we get the impact of the power of that. What you see on the stage today is something governments cannot do. What you see over there is something the power of mankind 
cannot do. You will only witness that kind of power, that kind of demonstration in the church. Right there. You will see an American flag next to an Iranian flag. That's incredible. The world would have us as Americans and Iranians be enemies. But what we see only in the local church, look at this, in the local church we see America and Iran standing next to each other. It's prophetic. It's the kingdom of God at work. And we should continue to celebrate that. I am incredibly honored by that this morning. Uh, And so I took a great picture and I cannot wait to post that to Facebook. Amen. (laughs) Cannot wait. Now, uh, Friday night, all day Saturday, and today, when I was talking to Raj and the, your leadership team, what do, what do we want the topic to be? And so, uh, being that my wife, we were in Indiana, and my wife and I, we were in Indiana uh, back in February doing a marriage conference. I do an eight-week sermon series on Sunday mornings in our church every year on marriage. Uh, it's brand new, it's fresh, it's everything. We travel around, we do marriage conferences, we speak all the time biblically on marriage. And so Raj was like, can you, would you share some of that with us? And so Thursday and Friday, we, uh, or Friday and Saturday actually, we shared on marriage. And it was an incredible time as God poured his heart out, I think, on the topic of marriage. And so then I asked Raj, I said, you know, I think there's something God wants to say to the church, even for those who weren't able to participate in the weekend as far as that goes, on marriage. And so if it's okay with you this morning, I would like to share this word with you. Is that all right? How many of you, how many of you know and understand that this morning every person in this room is affected by marriage? You're affected by marriage. Whether you're married or you're not married, marriage affects you. And as Raj so eloquently pointed out when we started, our relationship, our eternal relationship with God is given to us by God as a picture of marriage. And so if I take that, I'm not this smart, trust me, I'm just a redneck from America. I, I, I really am. I have an alligator for a pet. I mean, just... Some of you are like, I'm not listening to anything else he has to say. This is insane. What has Raj done? Trust me, my wife threatens to make that thing a purse and a pair of shoes every day. So I'll call her and say, did you feed the alligator today? And she's like, I threatened to make her a pair of shoes. No, I'm not this smart, but think about this. If God would give our eternal relationship with Him to us as a picture of marriage, then to me that means that God values marriage. Is that okay? And that marriage to God is important. The problem with the society that you and I live in, we have made marriage as disposable as the razors we use. I shared with the group this week, you think, think about this. I asked them, I said, how long does it take, how long does it take a, a, a young person who is of the age to begin driving to get a driver's license? And they said, in the UK, they told me, I didn't know, they told me, I'm just taking their word for it, maybe they told me a story. But they said, in the UK, it takes five, it takes five months to get a driver's license. Do you know how long it takes to get a marriage license in America? You go in, you pay your $35, and within three days they mail it to you. No training, no teaching, no asking if you're prepared. None of that. 
Yet, what affects our lives more, driving or marriage? Hello, somebody. I'm an audience participation preacher. You're not going to scare me. I have an alligator for a pet. You don't frighten me. Her name is Dundee, by the way. Some of you will get that later. It's an American sense of humor, but uh, nonetheless. She never comes to it when I call her. I don't know. Anyway. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Is this okay? Is this all right? All right, so let's relax. Everybody relax. We're going to talk about the most important thing, I think, outside of our, our regaining our redemption, our being redeemed to God, to God's heart, and that is marriage. We're going to talk about it. It is so important. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes an amazing statement. And right, right there, as we, before we get to that statement, watch what he says in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust does destroy, where thief breaks in and steals. But lay up for your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where the thief do not break in and steal. And in verse 21, pay attention to it. It's very, you might want to highlight it in your Bible. And right out beside it, you might want to write, My marriage. Why not? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can we pray over this word? Father, today I thank you for this word. I ask you to bless it to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said? Amen. All right, here we go. Buckle your seatbelt. Look at your neighbor and say, strap in. All right, here we go. Have you ever heard this phrase? Have you ever heard this phrase? Watch this. Here's the phrase. Here it is. You get what you tolerate. Is that a, is that a phrase we can use in the UK? You get what you tolerate. What you put up with, what you let continue, what you let go on in your life, that's what you get. Hello, somebody. We live in an imperfect world. You probably didn't know that. It's a shock to you this morning. We live in an imperfect world. And let me just bless you. This is a great wisdom. You can tweet it if you want. You can Facebook it. Let some of your friends know who don't come to church that you're in church and you're having fun right now. Imperfection will always seek you out. You don't have to go looking for imperfection. You do not have to go looking for it. It will find you. I told my wife this one day. I said, listen, I don't know what's going on, but it seems like trouble always finds me. And she says, boy, do I know. (laughs) Imperfection will seek you out. And if you tolerate it, you will find all of it you can handle. Somebody say amen. If you tolerate it, you will find every bit of imperfection you can handle. So unpleasant things seek the level in your life they are allowed to exist. You know what I call that? This is an American term. I'm trying to, to, to learn to be a little more British or, you know, trying. 
But this is an American term. See, unpleasant things seek the level they are allowed to exist in your life. You know what Pastor Don calls that? That's called the merry-go-round of stupid. (laughs) Hello, somebody. That's just PD's version. Pastor Don, PD. Pastor Don's version of the way life works sometimes. And it does it especially in marriage. Sometimes I'll do something not real smart in my relationship with my wife. Maybe I'll say something or, or not communicate very well and I'll go, yeah, that probably what, that wasn't very smart. And she'll go, no, it wasn't. She'll look at me and say, is the merry-go-round spinning? While you might get all bad things you tolerate, what about the good things in marriage? Raise your hand if there's some good things in your marriage. My goodness. Look at you people. If we get the bad things we tolerate, what about the good things in marriage? Where do they come from? Well, they come from the same place your tolerance comes from. Your values. Absolutely. Your tolerance comes from your system of values. Sure it does. What you don't value, you don't tolerate. What you value, you make room to embrace. On both the positive and negative side, ultimately what you value is what you will have. What you value is what you will have. And so if you value something in a relationship, you won't tolerate anything that destroys that that you value. Not putting up with it. Not putting up with it. Because it destroys what I value. That's important to me. And this thing is trying to destroy that. What you value happens and what you don't value doesn't. Yes. You say, well, I don't like the merry-go-round of stupid. I don't value that. But see, our actions declare more than our words what we really value. And mine and my wife's marriage... We will not tolerate anything that, vi- that violates honesty. Not tolerated. It's not tolerated. Anything that violates honesty. You see, we've learned to develop an atmosphere where we can come in unashamed and uncondemned and be honest. That, isn't, that doesn't mean we don't have to be accountable if we got on the merry-go-round. But there's freedom in knowing that dishonesty inside of our marriage in any way, in any form, is not tolerated. And so, hey, how many of you guys understand this? You, can, you walk in, the, in your house and you see your wife and you can just know. You know her body language, you know her facial expressions. And you go, oh boy, somebody did something. And I pray to God it wasn't me. <laughs> Hello, somebody. 
Like, you know, if it's one of the kids, we'll just help them meet Jesus right away and we'll move on. I can walk up to my wife. Maybe you've done this, guys. You know there's something wrong and you look at her and you go, what's the matter? And your wife says, what? Nothing. I mean, that's not honest, is it? Listen, I know you well enough to know that's not true. And so, like we said this weekend, what question is it that we ask? How can I help? That makes her understand that I want to join you in what you're going through. I don't want to blame you in what you're going through. I don't want to be angry at what you're going through. My question to her is, how can I help? That's not true. It's not honest. I know that. You know that. Right now, how can I help? Sometimes she looks at me and says, you can help by leaving me alone for a moment. Do you know what Don needs to do? Go pet the alligator. (laughs) And then somebody will say, what are you doing? I'm helping my wife. How's Dundee today? See, we both begin to actively seek to build and increase the presence of honesty in our marriage. And there is a liberty and a freedom and safety there. Your values make sure that certain bad things are not present in the marriage and certain good things are. And whether you know it or not, your values declare the identity of your marriage. They dictate what nature relationship you have is going on, what's going to be allowed, what's not going to be allowed. The values of your relationship become like the frame of the house and they give it shape. How many have ever seen the foundation of a house without the walls up? In your mind, you can't imagine what it looks like. Right? Like you can't imagine where's the living room going to be? Where is the bathroom going to be? Where's the kitchen going to be? You see the foundation, but the walls aren't standing up. And in your mind, you just can't right picture it. Maybe you've got a drawing and you can think, okay, this is sort of what it looks like. But then you drive by after they've erected the walls and you go, ah, that's what it's going to look like. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? See, the values in your life, whether you're married right now or you're not married, whether your marriage is good right now or whether you're struggling in your marriage right now, it doesn't matter. This message fixes you because your values dictate the shape of your relationship. Somebody say amen. Amen. And you never, ever, ever are going to know what that looks like until you identify the values in your life. So in the Hebrew... The word value means to make large. Think about that. That's incredible. It means to lift up and to magnify. How many of you have like a a china cabinet or a, a special little cabinet that maybe has some, and you put special things inside of it? Maybe you have a few of those, right? All right, they're they're exemplified. Not only are they on level for people to see, but they're also protected so they don't get damaged. So you've made it large. You've valued it. You've lifted it up. What would happen in our life if our total living in our marriage was to do that with our spouse? What would happen in our marriage if we decided all I'm going to do is make my wife 
valuable. I'm going to lift her up. I'm going to exalt her. I am going to magnify her. Notice I didn't say I'm going to make her large. I've done marriage conferences for a little while. My wife came out of the closet one day. And she had this dress on. And she had this dress on. It was a new dress. She's going to wear it to church. And she looks at me. And she says, does this dress make me look fat? Now, every guy in the room knows, whatever answer you get, you're just about to meet Jesus. Like, life is over for you. I'm not answering the question. So you know what I did? Instantly, I turned around and said, does my bald spot make me look fat? not going there. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Watch what it says. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Get wisdom. Now here's the issue. My wife and I do a lot of crisis marriage counseling. Sometimes we will spend 30 hours a week out of our schedule just doing marriage counseling. That's not church administration. That's not building sermons. That's not leadership meetings. That is meeting with crisis marriage couples. It's a lot of work. And you know what I hear most of all when people come into my office and sit down? We are not happy. What's the problem? What are you going through? What's happening right now? We're just not happy. What do you want? I want to be happy. Sounds okay, doesn't it? Can I share with you, buckle your seatbelt, please don't throw any tomatoes at me until I'm done. Watch this. The worst thing you can ever do in your life is make happiness a value. You don't want me to be happy? That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Let me give you an illustration. For 20 years, I was a butcher before I went into full-time ministry. I don't work on cars. I don't build houses. Right? If our car breaks, I have to take it to somebody else to fix it because I need to stay saved. If I start working on a car, I'm liable to lose my salvation. I just uh, can't do it. I don't work on cars. My wife says, "Uh, the car is broken. Take it to somebody. Call him to pick it up. Please, I love Jesus. Bring me a cow. Tell me what you want. Man, I can do that. I had a young guy who worked for me in the the meat department that I was running down on the beach in Florida. Panama City Beach, beautiful place. And this young guy was working with me and he, him and this uh, girl he was dating, they were going to get married. And so they'd set a date, but they were having some struggles. And so we would talk. We would talk about it while we were there cutting meat and, and doing all the things and selling and all that kind of stuff. And, and so he, he, was, he was saying, man, I, I, I just don't know what's going to do. And I said, tell me about this. What's happening? And he said, several times in our conversation, I would hear him say something like, well, she did something that didn't make him happy. Like, she wasn't making him happy. She's not making me happy. I'm just not happy, man. I'm telling you, I can't stand it. I'm just not happy. So I started asking him a little bit more, and I found out 
The reason she wasn't making him happy is because she was asking him to deal with some things in their relationship. And so he needed to do some work, and that was going to take some effort, and therefore that was not happy time for him. When he had to work on the relationship, he no longer liked it. Hello, somebody. At first I was trying to figure out, what's the difficulty? But the more I listened, the more I saw he was the difficulty. Not her. And his attitude was this. If I'm not happy, something bad must be happening. If I'm not happy, something bad must be happening. And he thought the bad was someone else or something else, and he never ever thought the bad was him. Never did he think this. And so we talked. And I asked him, what's your priorities? And he would tell me, but he would never ever blame himself. He would never ever say he had to work on something. It was always her, always her, always her, always her. And any time he had to work on something, man, it was too much work and I just don't want to do this. Listen, guys, listen. This guy needed a goldfish, not a wife. Because that's about the level of relationship he was willing to invest. Because at the first sign of trouble, he's willing to flush it down the toilet. A woman for him was completely out of the question. Because his greatest value was his own happiness and his immediate comfort. I can't think of a worse value in life, especially in a life that includes marriage. You know what I've discovered in all of the years that we've been doing counseling? I have discovered that people who always want to be happy and pursue it above everything else tend to be the most miserable people I meet in my life. You want me to tell you why the reason is? Let me give you a shocker. Buckle your seatbelt. I'm going to answer the question because you're sitting there thinking, what's wrong with being happy? I never said there was anything wrong with it. But here's the truth this morning, especially in the context of marriage, that please hear me, never forget. Ever, ever, ever forget. Happiness is not a virtue. Happiness is the result of right decisions. Y'all didn't say amen loud enough, but thank you. I put it up there because I want you to take a picture of it, tweet it, put it on Facebook, put it somewhere you'll never forget it. Happiness is the result of right decisions. Make wrong decisions, you're not going to be happy. Learn to make right decisions and you will get right results. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not next month, but I guarantee you right decisions will always produce right actions and right actions will birth inside of our heart peace and that will bring us happiness. Happiness is a result of right decisions. Get off the merry-go-round. You ever notice the faster it spins, the more you want to hold on because you're scared you want to fall off, but the greatest thing you want to do is get off the thing? But if you let go, it's going to hurt? Let me help you out. Let go. Get off of it. You'll get a bump, you'll get a bruise, you'll get a scrape, but you'll live. You're never going to be happy spinning around in that circle. All you're going to do is feel nauseated. 
And how many of you know there are times in our life, let's just be honest with us, when we're struggling in our marriage, it really makes us feel nauseated. I mean, I let you had a wife walk into my office and say, I am sick of my husband. I said, what does that mean? Do I need to get a garbage can? I mean, do we need... Are you okay? How can I be content in my circumstances if I'm not willing to put in the character work that is necessary? I'm going to say this. This will shock you. I know you probably never thought about marriage as a lot of work. When couples do the right kind of work, when I'm talking about character building, they find they gain happiness as a result, not as a value. But if you're, if you're having to work hard, interferes with the value of being happy, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. Somebody's going to end up angry because they're inconvenienced. And their happiness is going to be interrupted and they're going to refuse to solve the issue and they're going to leave the relationship. I literally had a couple in my office, my wife and I were sitting down with them, and they both would say, both of them said, I don't have a problem, he does. I don't have a problem, she does. I'm good. They're the ones with the problem. Let me tell you something. If the Bible is true that when we get married, we are one, if your spouse has a problem, so do you. So do you. I didn't say it was fair. That's not the issue. Get over it. Marriage is for adults, not children. This is not about fairness. Marriage is for adults. If you're not ready to be an adult, do not get married. Help me out again. If you're not ready to be an adult, do not get married. Marriage is for adults. Grow up. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to be rude or crude. I'm trying to tell you that six months into mine and my wife's marriage, we've been married almost 24 years now, six months into our marriage, she was packing her bags and she was leaving. I worked two 40-hour-a-week jobs, two 40-hour-a-week jobs. I worked 80 hours a week. We had a brand-new home, two brand-new cars, a lot of land. She had all the money she wanted to go shopping. I didn't drink. I didn't cuss. I didn't do drugs. I didn't beat her. I didn't abuse her. I made the money. I brought the check home, and I handed it to her. She's leaving after six months. What's her problem? She should have it so good. Were you there? Must have been in the room. You know what she told me when I said, you should have it so good? Look at all the stuff I give you. She said, I never asked for this stuff. I didn't marry this stuff. I married a husband, and I want a husband at home. I am sick of you being gone all the time. That was never so liberating in all my life. You know what I did? I promptly went to work the next day and got fired from one of my jobs. That's a true story. I got, I've never been fired in all of my life. Can you imagine somebody firing me? <laughs> We weren't Christians. We weren't saved. We didn't know Jesus. And through that process, we both came to know the Lord. Through our pastor and brave leaders who would look us in the eye and say, you have to grow up. 
you'll have to grow up. Our life changed. Our life changed because someone was willing to look at me and say, God is not interested in your happiness. He's interested in His purpose in your life. And your marriage is one of the greatest purposes in your life given to you by God. Stop being a knucklehead. Is that all right? Stop it! (laughs) Marriage is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. If happiness is your guide and it goes away, you are going to always find yourself in a boatload of trouble. Watch this. Watch this next one now. Throw this up here. Watch. Look at this. The truth is, and this is why happiness is such a horrible value, that when we are not happy something good might actually be happening. That's the truth. You say, what are you talking about, PD? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is an inquisitive group, Raj. You might actually have been brought about to this moment of crisis because you need to grow. Nothing has caused me more to grow in my walk with Jesus than being married to that woman. I'm just going to be honest with you. Crisis may be the solution to much of what is going wrong in your marriage. Watch what James says in James chapter 1. He says, my brother, and count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not there. I am not there. When I start to have struggle and trouble, I'm not the first one to step up and go, yes, trouble is here. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. This is exciting. We have got trouble. No, that's not what happens. I start blaming God. What did I do? Lord, I'm leading. I, I left all, I abandoned everything, I pay my tithes, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm doing everything. Why, why do I, do, I do, what did I do to deserve this? He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I learned a long time ago not to pray for patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's where we started. Ask, remember Proverbs. It says wisdom is there. Get wisdom and she will take care of you. He says, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. When you hit a problem in your marriage, your happiness will go away. James tells us that it's an opportunity to grow, to become complete. If this is the way couples will view trouble in their life, they'll be able to work through whatever it is that's causing a problem, and they'll be free from it forever. Six months into our marriage, my wife is leaving. Jesus intervenes. That didn't mean the work was done. It was hard work the next year and a half. The next year and a half came on, God began to work on us both. And I had to come to my wife and had to confess. 
I wasn't a drunk. I didn't do drugs. I worked very hard. I didn't cuss. I didn't cheat. I was never physically abusive. I never raised my voice. Ask her. I just don't shout. Unless I'm preaching, of course, and then that's okay. But But what I did have was a very powerful addiction to pornography. And I came to my wife because God was working on me. We've been married two years now, and I had to confess this. And you know what my wife, she did? She looked me in the eye, and she says, number one, that's not allowed in our marriage. You, you got to meet her. She's like this little prophetic chihuahua. <laughs> like she would stand, she'll stand up on the couch so she can look me in the eye to make sure you don't miss this. That's not allowed in our marriage. Number two, you are going to deal with this. And number three, you're going to tell me what my role is in helping you walk in freedom. Hello, somebody. Because, see, here's the issue. If I have a problem, so does she. It was through her love, through her accountability, through her refusal to say what God has done in us is permanent and eternal and is valuable to God and it's valuable to me, but there are some things that aren't tolerated and you're going to lead us as a family, mister, so deal with it. I remember walking through having to deal with this. So powerful. It was rough, man. It was tough. It was, it was just hard. It was just like everything, everywhere. Like we, we, we lived close to Panama City Beach, Florida, which is one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And I couldn't go to the beach with my family. Hello, somebody. And I remember just being sick and tired of this on a Sunday evening at a church service. And I remember grabbing one of the chairs from the, the congregation and pulling it up front when it was time for prayer. And I remember sitting down in that chair and looking at the leadership in my church and saying, I am not leaving here until God delivers me from this. I am sitting here until God delivers me from this. And the men gathered around and we prayed. And that night God delivered me from that terrible, terrible burden. But every day since, I have been walking out my deliverance. Hello, somebody. I'm not tempted by it anymore. But I still have to walk out deliverance. Because it's work. It's dishonoring to her and to every other woman on the planet. It's a cancer in society and the church should deal with it. And it was an issue. It was that last issue that was in my heart that I had to surrender. It was that kind of thing. See, I had to deal with this. If this is the way couples will view trouble, they will be able to work through whatever it is that's causing problem and they will be free from the problem forever. That's my story. What's yours? I, I, I'm sorry, Miss Jody. I, I know you asked me not to do this, but I have to. <laughs> Friday night, after our first session, Simon was busy cleaning up. and You know Simon. He's, he's kind of like doing his thing, right? Like he's organizing, doing all that kind of stuff. 
She's like, can, can I talk to you? I said, sure. I said, what's going on? She said, that we really need, I need you to pray for, for us. I said, what is happening? She said, Simon drives the car and he seems to always run into trees. <laughs> I said, always? She's like, he does this over and over and over again. And I said, well, do you have good insurance? I mean, is it okay? She says, no, you don't understand. She says, finally, he has had enough of this car and he's going to sell it because he's tired of it running into the trees. (laughs) He thinks that if we just go get a new car, he's going to be happy. She said he doesn't recognize he plays a role in running the car into the tree. He thinks a new car is going to solve the problem. Pastor Don, pray for us. After all, this old car is not making him happy anymore. She said, pray, because if Simon would just work on his driving, he wouldn't hit trees anymore. If Simon would work on his driving, happiness would be a result of his work. And you know what Simon would do? He would find tree-free driving. (laughs) How many of you want a tree-free driving marriage? How many of you in your marriage, you're tired of running into the tree? Who put that tree there? Where did that tree come from? Who's responsible for this? It's somebody else's fault. Somebody should not have put that tree there. It's not my fault. I'll tell you a story. There was a gentleman in the store I worked at, and he was an older gentleman who had never been married, and he had, a tr- he had trouble fitting in at work. And so he used to work in the produce department but he had trouble telling the difference between lettuce and cabbage. And when he would price lettuce and cabbage, he would get them reversed. He had trouble telling the difference between the different kinds of vegetables. And finally, the man who's running the produce department told the big boss, I can't deal with it anymore. He's costing us money. You've got to move him. And so they moved him. His name was Benny. They moved Benny from the produce department. They moved him over into the bakery department. Now, Benny had a hard time telling the difference between the loaves of bread. He had a hard time telling the difference between which cake was chocolate on the inside and and vanilla on the inside. After all, they're all covered by icing. It's not his fault. And so finally, the bakery manager said, Look, I can't. He's costing us money. You have to move him. And so they moved Benny into the meat department with me. And I thought, okay, this is a mission from God. We're going to love Benny. 
Benny had a hard time telling the difference between T-bone steaks and pork chops. There's a big difference in price in T-bone steaks and pork chops. And so after a little while, I went to the big boss man and I said, look, you've got to move Benny. He's costing us money. So they put Benny up front bagging the groceries. Benny could not understand why you can't put the bread on the bottom and the eggs on top. And eventually the boss man said, I've got to move Benny. They put Benny on the night crew buffing the floors. Let me tell you something, folks. Benny has found his calling. No lie. The floors in that store never looked... I worked there a long time. They never looked so good as they did when he started taking care of the floors. You could comb your hair, what hair I used to have, in the floor. It was beautiful. Every morning when the store opened up at 7 o'clock, the store looked immaculate because Benny was working on the floors all night. Well, the stock crew liked to used to pick on Benny. And... Benny would have his buffer dragged across the store and power cords stretched out and the stock crew couldn't take their carts over the cord because it was so heavy their wheels wouldn't roll over. And so they would unplug Benny's cords so they could move their cart and they wouldn't plug him back together and he'd have to find it and it would take him time. And the store manager would get there early in the morning and start fussing at Benny because he wasn't through with the floors yet. But the store's got to open. You've got to get this equipment out of here. We've got to open the store. And, and so Benny started taping the ends of the drop cords together so that people couldn't untape them and unplug them so that he could go. And so the trigger on Benny's buffer was broken, and he's flying one night, and the stock crew, the stock crew decided that they were going to unplug, unplug his cord and then tape it back together so he wouldn't know it was unplugged. And so Benny spent a long time trying to figure out why his buffer machine wouldn't work. In the morning, he's late. Store's about to open. He is running down the aisles with his buffing machine, and the trigger is broke on it, and it hurts his hand where he's got it. So he decides, I'm going to hold on to this machine. I can't let go of it until I'm through anyway. So he takes black tape, and he tapes the trigger on. So when he lets go of the handle, it stays on. Now, this is one of those machines that if you let go of it, it spins around in a circle. So Benny is flying down the aisle. There's a little old lady. She's about 80 years old. She's standing on the end of an aisle looking at some snack cakes. She wants to buy some snack cakes in the morning at 7.30 in the morning. Benny comes flying around the aisle, and he runs over the top of this little old lady's feet with the buffer, tears her shoes off, knocks her on the floor. He lets go of the buffer. The buffer goes down the aisle spinning, and Benny's standing there saying... It's not my fault. It's not my fault. To call the ambulance to come and get the little old lady. The aisle where the buffing machine went down is totally destroyed. Like there are groceries and cans of spam everywhere. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm not suggesting to you that there aren't extenuating circumstances that cause situations in your life that are unfair. I understand that. I'm married. But to stand there in the middle of crisis and say, it's not my fault, I don't have to deal with it, doesn't help the situation. As a matter of fact, it only makes it worse. 
Is that okay? There are many things, watch this, I put it up here because I want you to remember it. There are many things in your life that are much more important to worry about than happiness. Especially if happiness is a result of right decision. Don't get the cart before the horse. Do you say that over here? Okay. Children believe happiness is for today. I said children believe happiness is for today. It's there. But marriage is for adults. And let's just be honest, husband or wife, no longer how you've been married, uh, how long you've been married, there are times in our marriage where every one of us have acted childish. Every time. I just, I'm sorry, I was childish. I just go to my wife. I don't make any excuses. I was being childish. If people like this see marriage existing to gratify for the moment, married couples are going to struggle. But if married couples will be willing to do the hard work, happiness will find you. Yes, it will. Say amen. Clap. That is a good, good. If you're willing to do the hard work, happiness will find you. And let me tell you something. The reason our eldership team over the last 12 years has coveted to commit at least eight weeks a year on Sunday mornings to marriage in our church is because we have seen and noticed that when the marriages in our church are strong, our church is strong. But when marriages are not strong, our church is weak. You have no idea the strength you will add to this congregation when you decide to value what God values, and that is your marriage. Amen. You want to be evangelistic? It's a good place to start. You want to outreach into the community? Everyone in this room knows someone who's struggling in marriage. I didn't say it to be perfect. That's a big difference. Don't have the worst value ever. I must be happy at all times and I value it more than anything else. Don't. Somebody say don't. 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 You say, well, PD, if not happiness, what should I value? What should I value? Listen, my job this morning is not to tell you what you should value. I can't decide them all for you. But here are a few I think the Bible holds very high. And here are the six that changed mine and my wife's life forever. I tell everybody I meet, I am having fun being married. It's a blast. It is absolutely a blast. I'm having fun being married. My kids are grown. They've got kids of their own. We've got six grandkids now. but there's still times when I only want to be with my wife. It's not that I don't love my kids or my grandkids. I love hanging out with her. I love messing with her. I've paid dearly for it sometimes. One morning it was, I had to get up early. 
and I had to go into the meat department. I had to leave about 4 o'clock in the morning. And we had left the windows open at night to let the breeze in, and my wife was sleeping soundly in the bed, and it was raining very lightly outside. And, and I thought as I was leaving, I thought, you know, I left her a note, and, and I didn't want to wake you. And so, uh, but as I was leaving, I heard the rain in the bedroom, and, and it was on her side of the bed where the window was open at. And I thought, you know, I, I probably should close that window because it might rain a little bit harder. It's going to rain in the house. And so I walked over to the bedroom, uh, to the window. I have no idea what happened. Uh, Jesus is still working on me. But I looked at my wife sleeping there, and I grabbed the window, and I looked at my wife sleeping there, and I just slammed it as hard as I could. Hey! She sits right up in the bed. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That wasn't good. That wasn't. That wasn't. It was funny. One morning, I decided, you know what? I'm going to work early. And she's sleeping. And I usually get to work at a certain time, and I thought, you know what? I'll set my alarm for like 10 minutes after I get to work. It's one of those big bin alarms, you know, with a big bale on it, right? It's not like one of those electric ones you can just push a button or whatever. It's across the room, so you have to get up and turn it off, right? Like, it will terrify. It'll wait. Like, when Jesus comes back, he's going to use that to resurrect the dead. <laughs> About ten minutes after I got to work, I got a, phone, uh, a page over the system. Don, you have a phone call on line one. I thought, oh, boy, this is not going to be good. <laughs> Hello, somebody. <laughs> I can't give you your value system, but I can tell you what changed ours. I can tell you what we decided to focus on and how the, the next 22 years played out. Here they are. How about a love for God together? Love God together. Love God together. One of the young ladies on our worship team came down on a Sunday morning after work. She was weeping. She was just crying. And she came over to us and I thought, oh man, I've got to go preach. Worship is over. I looked at my wife and I'm like, you got to deal with this. And, I, and she grabbed me as I was walking away and she said, I just want you to know I was so honored watching you two worship. And we were like, what did you mean? She said, as you were worship, I saw you holding hands. And I've never, ever imagined that that was okay in church. It's, it's okay to love God together. Hello, somebody. And it's been part of who we are. How about this one? Number two, love your spouse. How about just love each other? Right? How about just love one another? How about just love each other? Okay, that's pretty simple. Not really. If it was, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You've already heard me declare this one, honesty. Honesty. I mean, she's prophetic. I can't lie to her anyway, so why try? Why don't you just read your book? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. It's a virtue of God. Compassion and forgiveness. Hello, somebody. Forgiveness. 
the greatest gift you can give your spouse is forgiveness. And forgiveness does not, does not exonerate accountability. Remember what my wife told me. You're going to deal with this. You're becoming a man of God that I love and cherish and I know you will deal with it. And you're going to tell me what my role is helping you deal with it. I forgive you. Forgiveness is incredible. It's so powerful. It's so powerful that we know, and don't think it isn't powerful. You think, oh, forgiveness isn't that big deal. Yeah, that's why you withhold it. If it's not that big of a deal, then why do you withhold it? Because you understand and know the power of forgiveness. That's why you don't give it. That's a whole other sermon. We'll preach that next time we come. That's so good. How about holiness? Just being pure. Right? These are the six things my wife and I took into our life and we said these are what we're going, these are our value systems. And anything that comes against these for us, we will actively attack and destroy together. And we have done it. Not perfectly. And there are times when we've had to call each other out on one of them. But it has changed our life. It has changed our life, and I, for one, am grateful for it. Let me close with this kind of thought. Here's the big picture. Here's the big picture. If it, we're going to take up a donation in a little bit so Simon can get a new car, and he's going to work <laughs> on his driving. I'm sorry. No, we're not going to do that. Here's the <laughs> Forgive me. Is that... You, oh, he said we can take up a donation. Oh, okay. All right. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who focus on what they want, always trying to get it and never attaining it. And then there are those who focus on what it takes to obtain what they want. What do you want? I want to be happy. When I sit down with those people and they say, we're not happy in our marriage, I say, what do you want? We want to be happy. Are you willing to do the work? Wait a minute. I thought you were just going to fix this. Not my job. I'm not married to you. I'm married to her. Not my job to fix your marriage. It's your job to fix your marriage. I can give you some tools, but if you don't do them, I guarantee you there will be no fixing. Those who focus on what it takes to obtain what they want, get it. They get it. How many of you want a happy marriage? You didn't raise your hand. Maybe we did a big altar call here. That, How many of you want a happy marriage? Sure, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. It's just not a value. It's the result of right decisions. Do what it takes, church, and your marriage will be happy. Your family will change. Your community will change. Is it any wonder why this topic is under such attack in the whole wide world? Not just in my country. This is a satanic assault against what he knows God values and what he knows makes the churches stronger. And we have to refuse to go quietly into the night. We have to refuse it. Do the work. Make sacrifices. Get the rewards. In marriage, if you focus on what you want and you just stay angry that you aren't getting it, you are going to be a person who remains angry. My wife will share her testimony. When she does, this is her subject. She says you cannot stay bitter and get better. Yeah. 
But if you cultivate the garden, and you guys know that term well, everybody's got a garden here. I me, I'm thinking garden. Okay, where are the vegetables? Where are the fruits? Where are all this stuff? You guys talk about a garden and you got flowers. I can't eat that stuff. I can't eat that stuff. I just can't. I can't. I can't eat that stuff. If you cultivate the garden of your marriage, I guarantee you, my life and my marriage proves it, you will yield a huge harvest. Can you say amen? Andy, why don't you and your team come? Make these six prime concerns. Can we go back to those, sisters? Is that all right to throw them up there again? And just go back a couple because don't, we don't have any more slides. So there they are. I, I dare you. Can I do it? I double dog dare you. It's an American term for I bet you can't. I dare you, make these six things that you and your spouse will agree to work on stand against anything in yourself and your spouse that would destroy them. This is the righteous indignation and your marriage depends on it. I would say to you the strength of this church depends on it. It does. It absolutely does. Our marriage sermon series at Firm Foundation Ministries in Michigan are so popular that there are other people from other churches who ask permission from their eldership team if for that eight weeks they can come to our church for the marriage sermon series. When they come, I specifically tell them, you are not allowed to tithe here. Your tithe goes back to where you belong. Your pastor has sent you here not only to get strong, but he has sent you here to take something back to that congregation and we will take nothing from him. We will bless him with what we give. And it is the most attended sermon series of the year for us. It's incredible. We've been doing it for 12 years. I'm, I'm encouraging Raj. Raj is like, man, we're going to do this. This thing's on. You watch what happens here. Do everything you can to increase these six things in your marriage. Give time, give money, give energy, focus, every resource you have to developing them. Pursue them with everything the two of you have and they will not fail you. How do I know? Because they have never, everybody say never. They have never failed me. They've never failed me. Wow, we have gone way over, preacher. I thought that clock was wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm on American time. Our first service does not in, in America doesn't start till 2 p.m. today, your, your time, so I got plenty of time. There we go. I love this church, and I want you to be on, I want to be honest with you. I feel a joining of the Lord with your leadership team. We have developed a great friendship, right? And you're going to have to release Raj and Charlotte, maybe some of the elders to come to us to deposit some of who you are inside of us. I'm asking you to do that. It's important. Because we need you. We do. That might sound funny for you to hear Americans say we need England. (laughs) But we need you. You know why? Because those two flags demonstrate only what God can do. All of those flags demonstrate that.
will you stand with me in this place?